latest edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. I do a weekly countdown before we start recording. And uh, you can tell that in the three, two, one, in those seconds, if I didn't think of anything unique and creative to open the show with, you can hear my disappointment with myself, which I feel was very evident on this week's episode of the show before the show. You don't have to call it out. You yeah, just no let subtext be Tyler. <laughs> No one would have known. Yeah. I'm one of those people who like if I, you know, post a, a picture on Instagram and there's like a little bit of ketchup on my shirt. I'm like, don't look at the ketchup on my shirt. And then everybody does. Um, yeah, I'm not good. I'm not good at ignoring these things. I want to be open with our listening public. And that's why we are who we are. If nothing else in this opening segment every week, we get into baseball news. We, exactly. talk about lots of, we bring on fun guests. We bring in Josh, but we are ourselves from the beginning. Exactly. I like that way of looking at it, Sam. Well, that's Sam Dykstra. And along with Benjamin Hill, those two in New York City, my name is Tyler Mon in Denver, Colorado. And we welcome you into another episode of the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. We had such a fun uh, interview last week. Uh, we got a chance to catch up with Ronnie Gajownik, the newest manager of the High A Hillsboro Hops. We got some really awesome feedback about that. Uh, including from friend of the show, Kevin Delaria, who got in touch uh, to let us know just how much he enjoyed that episode. If you too would like to get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. You can find us on social media uh, at Sam Dykstra, MILB, at Ben's Biz, and at Tyler Mon. Um, that conversation was just so much fun. And uh, to now get a chance to uh, see that career progress onto the field, see how much everybody has now started to see uh, Ronnie Gajownik as this uh, new pillar and trailblazer in minor league baseball is super cool. And we're still two months away from opening day. Like there's so much exciting stuff getting set to lead us into 2023. Now with all that, we are kind of in the calm before the storm. It's about two weeks until pitchers and catchers report. Uh, and everything sort of goes into one of those silent periods uh, like a re-entry on a, a spaceship. And uh, that's sort of where it feels like we are right now. Like there's not a lot going on at the moment. We're getting some non-roster invitations, still got good stuff coming up on the site, uh, ballpark guides and all the rest, but it's it's kind of quiet. We're all getting ready. It's like the night before Christmas. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels that way in terms of like the the non-roster invites or the crackling you hear on, on these right. like space right. shuttles when it's coming through. It's like, we're... Houston, can you hear us? Houston, can you hear us? It's just like Tamar Johnson got invited to Pirates camp. Uh, Jackson Holiday is going to Orioles camp. That being said, I don't know, Ben, you you can speak to this as well as I can, but like this feels like a very busy time of the year because it's preparing for the onslaught that's coming. Like we just got done with our top 100. We talked about that last week. I'm in full top 30s mode now, which is like top 100 to the nth degree because now all of a sudden you're writing about 30 guys in multiple systems. It's not just top 100 in baseball. That's a lot of research. That's a lot of talking to people, a lot of writing. Um, so if you might not see my stuff on the site as much anymore, it's because a lot is coming at the end of February. And I'm very excited to get it out there. Yeah, I feel the same way. I've been talking with Sam about that in the office this week, where after kind of a lot of January feeling like a slog, all of a sudden it just sort of little things are popping up like, oh, we got to do this. Oh, I have to do this. Oh, this needs to get written. Oh, I'm going to put this on a list for something to cover later. So while right now we're kind of talking about not having much to talk about while soon having so much to talk about, but that's really what it is. Things are really starting to to pop off, you know, here in February, um, obviously Black History Month, um, the nine initiative that minor league baseball does. Uh, many teams are participating in that. Um, that's going to be a lot of great stuff to talk about, um, you know, later this month, but also, you know, just throughout the season as teams do this kind of thing. I mean, just looking at Twitter now, 
uh, the Wichita Wind Surge announced that they're going to be playing a game as the Wichita Monrovians, um, who were a semi-pro team in Wichita. And I learned about that them a little bit when I visited Wichita last year. But there's this crazy story with the Mon- Monrovians. Is in 1925 they played a game against the Ku Klux Klan, against like the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan, and won. Wow. Um, so the team, the Wind Surge, in their press release said that's something that they're going to be you know, promoting, exploring, telling that story. And that's just one of so many stories uh, all over, you know, minor league markets across the country, you know, telling their local histories with uh, Negro League baseball, black semi-professional baseball, and so on and so forth. So um, trust us, we're taking notes. (laughs) There's a a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff about to happen. And uh, of course, there's uh, the big sports news right now is not necessarily baseball. Eagles in the Super Bowl, go Eagles. Um, And Tom Brady retired. And so yesterday on Twitter, I put up uh, what I believe to be true, and which certainly other people shared about, hey, hey, today, uh, the last player drafted, the last active player drafted by the Expos retired today because Tom, Tom Brady was drafted by the Expos and, uh, you know, held this distinction of being the last drafted Expo, which is true in all the major sports leagues. But if someone tries to pass along that nugget, like I did erroneously yesterday, please keep in mind that... Um, there are still professionals out there playing baseball who were drafted by the Expos who are not Tom Brady. We got Brandon Phillips still uh, playing, um, I think, in Lexington. He's been there the last couple of years in independent ball. And a pitcher named Daryl Thompson, who was drafted by the Expos, I think, in 2003, who's still playing in the Atlantic League. So the Expos, they're still alive, not dead yet. Just had to get that out there. So everyone knows the truth. It is really pretty amazing. Brandon Phillips had uh, a big league career in which he played in over 1,900 games over parts of 17 seasons. His big league career ended five years ago, and he's still been playing indie ball. Like, good for him. Brandon Phillips still getting after it out there at 41, almost 42 years old. He'll be 42 this summer. That's fantastic. Second round pick of the Expos. Not only a a pick of a franchise that's no longer around, he was a pick not even in this millennium. He was a, a second round pick in 1999. Yeah, I mean, the guy just loves ball, you know, like that. And God bless him for that. It, you know, it kind of ties in with Tom Brady. It was just like, guy kept playing year after year, even if, like we thought he was retired a year ago, played again. Um, I'm not saying Brandon Phillips is the Tom Brady of baseball, but, you know, kudos to guys who just keep finding opportunities and keep plugging away at it. Like, it's a fun game to play. And if you can get paid to do it, and I'm sure Brandon Phillips has money left over from his MLB career, he's not in it to – make a little extra scratch in Lexington. He's in it just to play every day and God bless him for it. And congratulations on retirement for the next few weeks for a super a future uh, San Francisco 49ers quarterback, Tom Brady. Uh, ben, you were going to say something. I cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. But I was going to say, speaking of trivia and Tom Brady, um, you know, obviously another thing in the, in the news recently, Scott Rowland to the hall of fame. Congratulations to Scott Rowland. And of course, anytime a minor league player is made, makes it to the hall of fame. I look at their minor league stats and, uh, you know, Roland played through the entirety of what was the Philly system at that time, including all of 1994 with the Spartanburg Phillies, who were in existence. And that was the last year of the Spartanburg Phillies, who um, began in 1964, 64 to 1994, uh, Class A South Atlantic League. Scott Roland becomes the second Spartanburg Philly to make it to the Hall of Fame. And this is a team that, that existed in the 60s, 70s, 80s, into the early 90s. Who is the other Spartanburg Philly who made it to the Hall of Fame? This is a very good question. I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give a guess. 
Um, but first, I want to know if if Sam's going to give a guess. No, you said you had a guess first. You have to get it out first. Um, my guess is Mike Schmidt. Yeah, that was going to be my guess. That's the obvious guess, a great guess, but he only played for Reading and Eugene during wow. the several years when Eugene was in the Pacific Coast. Yeah. League. Uh, he played for Eugene, but he was only in Reading and Eugene. Uh, of course, his career fits. He, he was a homegrown player. His career fits right into the Spartanburg Phillies timeline, but he was not a Spartanburg Philly. Here's my second guess. It's somebody who you don't think of as a Philly. Did they come up through the Philly system and then have a, a lengthy career that put him in the Hall of Fame through somewhere else? They might have. Yes. Okay. I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is your clue. He uh, he did play for the Phillies, but very briefly, and his Hall of Fame career credentials were all established with another club, this former Spartanburg Philly. Just one other club? Just one, yes. It's looked back on now as one of the worst trades in Philly's history. I believe they might have gotten Manny Trio out of the deal, who was, you know, a very good player in his own right, but they gave up this future Hall of Famer. Man. Why am I drawing a complete blank on this? This is he went on to a, a fellow National League team. They were an NL East team at the time, now in the NL Central. Okay. Hmm. Oh man. Um, this he is... was an infielder. Uh, he was at one time the highest paid player in Major League Baseball, I believe hitting $7 million uh, in the 90s. Um, it's not like Harold. No, it's not Harold Baines. I no. think I have a guess. I think I have a guess. Is it Go. Ryan Sandberg? Correct. Yes. Oh, nicely done. Tyler. <laughs> I was like, done. I'm pretty sure Ryan Sandberg broke in with the Phillies. Oh, I'm very, I'm very happy that I. Yep, uh, he, he was the Spartanburg Philly uh, debuted with the Phillies, and I believe '82, but only played a handful of games. Got traded, and then uh, went on to a Hall of Fame career. And the Spartanburg Phillies went on to become the team that is now known today as the Canapolis Cannonballers. Ah, okay. So they became uh, the Intimidators, and now the Cannonballers, and very cool stuff. Uh, well, first the Piedmont Phillies, then the Piedmont oh, the Bull Weevils. The Bull Weevils. Yes, then the Canapolis Intimidators and Cannonballers, but that's uh, that was all within Canapolis. They that's the Piedmont and Canapolis era, all in Canapolis. But Spartanburg before that, Ryan Sandberg and Scott Rowland, and the exclusive Spartanburg Philly alumni to the Baseball Hall of Fame club. It's a small club, but it's a very cool one to be part of. And um, I don't, I don't think it will grow from there, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, we are uh, we're set to pivot to a really fun interview for this week. Uh, I mean, that's some great minor league baseball trivia and a guy who probably knows as much minor league baseball uh, top to bottom as anybody else in the industry right now. Just got his call to the big leagues. Uh, we just talked to him a little while ago. It was such a fun conversation. Tee it up for us on this week. Yeah, Johnny Dasco. Minor league broadcaster since 1993, spent the last 22 years with the Sacramento Rivercats. Did a little bit of MLB fill-in work through the years, but you know now he's in his 50s, still with the Sacramento Rivercats until now. Johnny got the call to the Oakland Athletics, and uh, it was a delight to have him on the podcast. Such a good dude, and uh, dreams do come true, even after 30 years in the minor leagues, which is its own sort of dream. 
but making it to <laughs> the major leagues. And uh, we talked to him all about it. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are joined by Johnny Dosko, who, after 30 years in minor league baseball, got the call up to the Oakland A's. He is now a member of their broadcast team, and we had to get him on the show to talk about that after such a long minor league career and finally realizing his dream. So first of all, Johnny, thanks for being here and congratulations. Thanks, fellas. Great to see you. I'm excited. And uh, I'm, yeah, it's been uh, it's been wild the last uh, the last several weeks. Uh, it's been been kind of kind of crazy, but really cool. And uh, just uh, uh, blown away with the just the, the love I've had from so many people through the years, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, like after 30 years, you, you, you meet a lot of people along the way. So people are invested in you and they're 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 happy for you. So it, it feels good. Yeah. So, you know, on on uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, you know, you often see videos of players when they're called up and they get the call up, you know, from the manager's office or what what the case may be. Uh, you know, what is your call up story when you knew this was real and uh, you were making your way to the ma- to uh, major? Yeah, league it's funny, Ben. I always I always dreamed of that. Like, can I, I wish it could be like a player where I'm brought into the office and they. And they, you know, they, they play some kind of joke on me and they say, Oh, just kidding. You're called up. And uh, so I always thought, figured it'd be that way, but it wasn't that way. I, you know, Delaire uh, uh, reached out to me several months ago and said, you know, we may have, we may have something for you. No promises. We may have something uh, uh, may have created a job for you. So uh, it wasn't the traditional where you, you hear about the job, you send out your stuff and then you just wait um, mostly, you know, getting ready for the rejection email or rejection letter. Uh, so this was uh, a little bit different. So it, I had an idea that it was coming, but also it, you know, it had to, it had to work for the A's too. So uh, that was, uh, so it, it it was over the course of several months that it kind of happened. So it wasn't, it wasn't sudden, but still when he, when he, when I got the actual offer, it was, it was emotional. And because I I've been, you know, like everyone in this business and you're in the minor leagues, your heart's been broken so many times with jobs you think you have a chance at and it doesn't happen. So you know, I uh, I didn't want to put my heart out there and get broken again. So I really didn't think I had it until I actually got the offer. I, I wouldn't allow myself to even go there, you know. So that's kind of how it all all went down. Yeah, understandable. And uh, as we said, this comes after 30 years in minor league baseball, 22 with the Sacramento River Cats. But it all started in 1993 with the Cedar Rapids Colonels, uh, then as of now, uh, members of the Midwest League. If uh, we could start at the beginning for a little bit, yeah. and, you know, how did, how did you get in and what was it like, you know, the minor leagues in 1993 uh, working in Cedar Rapids? Yeah, you know, in 1992, I was working, I, I got a job in 1991 in Northeast Iowa working for a group of radio stations called the Super C Radio Network. It was Cresco Osage, New Hampton, and uh, oh my gosh, really? I'm going to forget this. Osage, Cresco, Charles City, and New Hampton. So those four, the Super C Radio Network. And I worked that job for a couple of years, and I found out about this job opening in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So the guy in uh, in uh, oh, lowers are coming here. Um, the the guy uh, Jack Rader, who was the boss then, he basically I he's I sent him my I sent him my stuff and he said, Well, what do you want for a salary? And I didn't know what these salaries were. So I put some obnoxious salary, like 180000 He mm-hmm. and he he got me back. He's like, We don't, we don't pay that. Sorry, we don't, we don't, we don't pay that. So uh it was a situation where he said, I'm sorry, we, we, we can't. I, I go, no, Jack, I didn't know. I don't I don't I don't know what they pay. So I, I let me let me redo that. So what he what he said was, 
you can sell advertising. If you sell enough advertising, like $30,000 worth of advertising, that'll justify your job. So you can, so if you don't sell it, you agree to go back to uh, California. So I agreed to it. It looked like we were not going to get it done. And then at the last second, a big sale came in and I was able to, to get the job. So that's where I kind of started in 1993 with Cedar Rapids. The first series was against South Bend, the South Bend uh, uh, Silverhawks, South Bend, the White Sox affiliate. And uh, and they uh, it snowed out. First four games were snowed out in Cedar Rapids. So I moved basically from Los Angeles to, uh, or I moved basically from uh, from Cresco, Iowa to Cedar, to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and got that had that job for uh, for three years. But we were uh, not a not a staff that had a lot going on. We had four members of our full time staff, and we had a. Um, I remember in 1993 we had a um, we had a vote on whether to get a fax machine or a mascot, and we chose the uh, mascot, Mister Shucks. So we we uh, so I was there in '93, four and five. We had a porta potty in the off season because no uh, no running water in the off season. So you had a porta potty uh, for the you know. And so it was great though. You know, I was there in the Midwest League, which was a great league. I was so happy to be in pro ball, and I was there for three years before I landed the job in High Desert. But that '94 team had uh, Benji Molina on it, had Jason Dixon, uh, had some pretty good players, and we won the Midwest League. We beat the Rockford Royals in the uh, in the uh, in the finals. So it was, it was it was fun three years for sure in Cedar Rapids. I enjoyed it. Donnie, it's cool because you were kind of at the uh, really the start of this renaissance of minor league baseball, that that mid 90s swing into the late 90s. And then, you know, new ballparks and wacky team names and all the stuff that's come along over the last you know generation that we think about with minor league baseball. When you think back to that first job, you could go back and talk to, to that kid uh, who took that job in Cedar Rapids and compare what minor league baseball is now to what it is then what do you think that conversation would be like that's a great question it has changed so much and there have been so i remember the west michigan whitecaps those stadiums were huge and new and it was just a you were just honored to be be a part of it you know and i just said this is wonderful you know i'm going to be do my 3 years here and then i'm going to go straight to the big leagues in 1996 what could go wrong right i'm i'm going to get there and uh but but I, you're right it is so different now and things are so much more advanced now it's a different game for sure, but there are so many beautiful stadiums now in minor league baseball. Before, before like the, that West Michigan Whitecaps, Old Kent Park, that was the, the pretty much the crown jewel uh, of the of the uh, Midwest League. And now all the ballparks, Lansing and all these Dayton, all these, these ballparks are beautiful now. So it's it is a different deal. And you know, look, the minor leagues, it's just a it's just a different scene now than it was when I was coming up. At Cedar Rapids, the old Veterans Memorial Stadium was was kind of old, but it had it was classic. You know, I love those classic stadiums. So yeah, it is. I look back at it and it it, it is really different. I thought the road was going to be a, a little uh smoother, uh, but it, it, you look you really never work a day in your life when you're broadcasting even minor league baseball. Yeah, they're, they're, the nights are are shorter, you know, early wake-ups, especially in the Coast League, those 4 a.m. wake-ups. But uh, I wouldn't have changed anything. I wouldn't have changed one thing about it. But, yeah, it's definitely changed for sure. Let me ask you the the mechanics of the broadcasting side. Uh, obviously, that talk about a world of difference. What you're able to access and research and and learn about now compared to when you started your career, um, and even from the technical standpoint of like the equipment that you would have been using when you first got started. What has been the the biggest advancement? Do you think? Like, take us back to what a day in the booth was like in 1994 versus what it was like in 2022. That's a great question. I think it was more. It was look. It was. I don't even remember doing research on the internet back then. Like, you know what I mean? Like 1993, yeah. Like I feel like you wouldn't have been able to, there wasn't yeah, anything. Exactly. I didn't have a cell phone, you know, I didn't have any of that. So I think you just, 
you did your research by talking to people. I think it's just kind of that's that's kind of how it was back then. I don't remember. I didn't have a cell phone until like ninety nine or two thousand. I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I remember having a computer back then. I don't think I had a computer. So I just I look back at it. It's just like how did I even? How did you? It's like almost like when you get the Google directions. How do we even get anywhere? Right. Right. So, exactly. Well, and like what I always think about too is you know if you listen to a, an old time broadcast of. Uh, you know, a Vin Scully call of the, you know, the Dodgers and the Giants at Ebbets Field in the mid 50s. Like how I don't even know how they had like up to date stats like, oh, this guy's hitting, you know, 317 coming into the day today. Like when you think about it now, it's so easy to pull it up. But was there somebody just running team stats, just like <laughs> printing off, handing out printouts? Like, I, yeah. I don't even know. I don't either. I don't know how we did it, but but we, we found a way to get it done though. And we, we broadcast games and it, it, it was fine, you know, just advance the, but just, there's so much information now uh, that it's, it is, it's a whole different animal, but again, it's, it's the, the passion for it, the love you have for it, even back in the day, it's just uh, that um, it didn't seem to matter. You know what I mean? Like we, we just found a way to get the information, found a way to paint the picture for the, for the fans. But no question, I, I always think about that. Like, what did I do back then? How did I even research? How did I even do homework? You know. So, yeah, it is. It is a lot different. But again, it was uh, is what we had at the time, right? Yeah, and, and speaking of transitions, you know, going from the '90s to now, but now you're making another transition from the minor leagues to the major leagues. Yeah, what is that transition going to be like? Because it, it, in one way, I think like. The minor leagues that we we cover it a lot. A lot of people pay attention to it, but it's not the big leagues. The big leagues, a lot of people already bring something to the table. So, how is that going to change? Not necessarily your broadcasting style, but the way you prep everything that goes into a major league broadcast versus what you've been doing at AAA. Yeah, I mean the prep. Uh, the prep is obviously so critical as it was when I was in the minor leagues. You know, I I prep hard, and I'm going to do the same thing here. Prep even harder now, just to do more research. I think I'll probably do a little more research on the major leagues. Now, obviously you're in the big leagues and research the major leagues, but I think, uh, you know, look, it's, it's, I, I'm new to this. This is new for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to learn and I'm going to learn from these, you know, we were fortunate to have Ken and Vinny and, and Dallas and, and, uh, and Glenn and Townie and Cody, all these guys and, and Jessica Kleinschmidt. So I'm going to learn from all of them. I'm part of this broadcast team and I'm the rookie again, I'm older, but I am the rookie. So I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of learn, kind of learn as I go. And they're going to have me do a bunch of things, which will be fun. I'm kind of the Sean Figgins where I'll be doing, you know, some pre and some post and some play-by-play and some ace cast and some podcasting and, and all different kinds of things. So I'm excited for the variety of it. I'm used to doing 150 games a year where I just, I'm the guy just do the play-by-play. Uh, so I, I'm excited about <clears throat> kind of the variety of things that I will do. I've never done talk before. So that ace cast thing will be new for me. So I, I'm excited about that kind of challenge uh, and to challenge myself to be uh, to to learn more about the game and about I mean, there all the rule changes now. Right. The the pitch clock and the bigger bases and the pickoffs and all that. So I saw those in, you know, in uh, in in triple A. So so to get the opportunity to see that now at the big league level uh, to answer your question. Um, I don't know. Right. Like it's, it's all, it's going to be new. It's going to be new. Uh, but I'm excited about the new challenge and, and excited about what, what's to come. I really am. Yeah. And what do you feel like is going to transition the easiest then? Just given all your experience over the years, you've done so many, you know, different levels. You've seen the game grow in these 30 years, but what do you feel like day one is going, you're going to feel the most comfortable about? I think just, uh, you know, the thing I'm going to be most comfortable with is just the fact that I know every single A's coach except one. 
So I'm going to be comfortable with, with the personnel, you know, I know from Katze on down, I know everybody. So that, that helps the comfort level. I only know one player. I know Sam Mole. That's the only player I know on the A's 40 man roster. So I'll get to know the players a little bit, but having those coaches as a base and knowing, and knowing all, a lot of the minor league guys like Scarsoni and Fran Reardon and those guys. So I'm very fortunate that, and uh, Bobby Crosby. So that that's going to help me a lot to have that base of knowledge and to kind of get, a comfort level. You know, Darren Bush was our manager with the River Cats. He's now the bench coach. I know Scott Emerson. I know Emo really well. Eric Martins, all those guys, Chris Crone. So I feel that is going to help me a lot with the comfort level and just play by play. I've done over 4,000 minor league games. So I'll be really hungry because I'm not doing as much play by play. So when I do get a chance to do some play by play, I'll be hungry to do it. Because, you know, even when I'm doing the games, you know, Vinny's going to be, I'm working with Vinny mostly. Vince Catronio is awesome. He's going to do six innings. I'll do three innings. So I'm not even doing uh, nine innings when I do do play-by-play. So the innings I do, I'm going to be really excited to to get my uh, get my hands on those innings. Looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, and you mentioned the, knowing a lot of the coaches of this team. You're going to learn a lot more about the players. You're joining an A's team now where I feel like a lot of the fans are getting to know the players too. It's yes. such a young team on the up and up, you know, what do you think is the theme or some of the themes you'll be hitting as you go to spring training and learn about these guys? Yeah. You know, look, there, look, every, the thing about opening day is <laughs> every team is uh, optimistic, right? That's the great thing about opening day, whether you're slated, they, the, the prognosticators saying you're gonna lose 95 games, whatever it is, you're still confident going into opening day, especially with a young team like this. And I'll tell you what, I, I look at the prospects on this organization and you guys know better than anyone like this, the prospects in this organization, it is exciting. All the players they got over from these big trades, they built this system up and think about the A's, you know, when they go, you know, when they go on these turns, they're down, they go straight up quickly. They don't, they don't take four or five years to get back up. That's the thing. This organization is so good at rebuilding and, and really rebuilding in a sense that, Guys are you have a lot of guys that are major league ready now, and guys that are close. So I think that's the exciting part with the, the Tyler Soderstroms, the Zach Geloffs, the Max Muncy. I mean, this the future is bright for this this organization. So I that's the thing I'm really looking forward to. And then you look as far as the guys that are on the field now. You got Trevor May as the closer now. You got the, the bullpen looks decent. You got ba- battle for rotation spots. Uh, Fujinami's here. So you, you're going to have a battle. You have about eight or nine guys battling for those rotation spots. And I love going into spring training when you have guys battling for spots. I think that's the most exciting thing. I don't like when 24 guys are locked in. I've seen that in the years past with teams. I like the fact that there's going to be competition this spring. So I think it's exciting. I don't know. I'm I'm an eternal optimist with this stuff, but I I'm really excited to see what what's to come with this team. That is a very good point, and it's it's kind of crazy with the A's how you'll see the the A's have a season where they really struggle, and then all of a sudden one year later they win 94 yeah. games in the division. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, how did this happen? How did this team do this so quickly? But to be yeah. uh, in an organization, Johnny, where you know um, that there is a lot that can happen quickly. Um, it's, it's a lot better. I would imagine than going in, you know, the outset of a rebuild and knowing, okay, this is going to be kind of a slog. I don't know what our listenership is going to be like. I don't know what to, to know that that fan base is that passionate people you've been around for so long. Um, you probably heard from a ton of people, uh, since you got this news, who's been, you know, maybe somebody unexpected or somebody, uh, that, you know, you didn't realize you had had as big of an impact, uh, on their life as maybe you did. What, what have some of the congratulations been like? Oh man, man, it's, it's been unbelievable. It's almost like 
going to your funeral funeral before you die, right? Because you're hearing all hearing all these things. It's like, wow, these people reached out from from Cedar Rapids. People reached out from all my stops, and pe- like, I guess the one that surprised me was Michael K of, of the Yankees. He reached out on a tweet and said, "Welcome to the fraternity." And I was like, wow, Michael, that's K. amazing. I'm not really starstruck with anybody, but it's like that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool to, to get amazing get that uh, tweet from him. Just a bunch of people from my past that I haven't heard from in so long, and I get it. But people are not people are just excited. They're excited for you, and they they feel like they've been on this journey with you. So, man, it's been um, just it was overwhelming. Like all the all the tweets and everything. I'm not big on Twitter. I'm I'm terrible on Twitter. I I say the most mundane things. I'm not exciting. I'm just I just I'm just not good at it. I never have been. It doesn't match my personality. People say you you're you're funny. Why don't you be funny on Twitter? I I don't know how. I just don't. I, I so I'm I'm bad on Twitter, but I just think, you know, it took me I wanted to return every tweet that was personal. And so it took me about five hours to return those those tweets to say thank you to everybody. I tried to make them all different and things. So it was it was it was really it was really cool, man. It felt it felt really good just going through the years and people understanding the journey, understanding. And also, I think it's good as we talked about earlier the fact that someone that was in thirty years got there. It's cool for guys that have been guys and girls that have been in in the business for a long time, knowing yeah. that they can they can get to the big leagues. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was really one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about. You are um, such a beacon for people who have been in the industry uh, for long enough now, where they see somebody who's really good work for a really long time is now being rewarded. Um, that's probably, uh, you know, I don't want to refer to it as a responsibility, but that's something that is very cool about where you are now is there are people who can look at you as the example of like, Oh, I can make it there. Um, what does that feel like for you after, after this road to have accomplished that? And now you give so much hope to so many people. It feels really good. And I'll tell you an example was there was a guy that uh, he's in the minor leagues. He's 35 years old. I never met him. And he said, this is really cool. He goes, I feel old for this business and I'm 35. And the guy that got in there, it's 20 years older than me. Uh, it made him feel good. Like, wow, I can do this. So that, that made people maybe feel really good, you know, cause it is, you know, like there are young people that get in uh, and they, you know, they, they start their careers, but there are a lot of guys, especially in our league, we had a lot of talent in our league, man. The P- our PCL has a lot of guys that could do big league baseball and guys that are older, right? Guys in their sixties, guy in his seventies, who's awesome. So it's like, you got a lot of, a lot of good talent there for them to see that it can happen, gives them hope and, you know, makes them feel like they, they, they have, they have a shot, you know? And, and so that part of it has been really, really rewarding and they've all reached out and just been really happy for me. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm elated to be, to, to represent everybody to, to, that they can get there too, you know? Okay. I've got uh, a question that is always one of my favorites to ask minor league veterans. And that is your most minor league story. I feel like there's always like something that stands out of, you know, the sprinklers came on in the fifth inning and we couldn't get them turned off or, uh, you know, a mascot ate too many hot dogs and passed out in the bleed. Like, what's the most when you think back to, oh, that's the encapsulation of my time in minor league baseball. Is there one that stands out or a couple? There is. There is. And never forget, I was in Burlington, Iowa when I was in Cedar Rapids. Um, We played Burlington and there was a there was this lady, this gruff lady who had a big chew in her mouth, you know, big chaw. She was probably in her sixties. And she kept turning around to me and my crowd, mic. you know, in the minor leagues, you have to have your crowd mic out there. And there was literally, there was probably 15 people in the stands, but she sat right by my crowd mic. Right. And she kept yelling at me, did the Cubs win? Did the Cubs win? You know, she's yelling at me. I'm like, I'm on the air, you know? And then she started dropping F-bombs in my crowd mic. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. So I had to turn down my crowd mic. So it sounded like I was broadcasting on a refrigerator. It was awful. So that that's kind of 
uh, <laughs> caps like really perfect. That's yeah, perfect. Right? Like I'm, I'm in the minor leagues. That's part of it, you know. So it's uh, and there was of course the guy in Beloit that was always had the cigar right by my right by my um, booth too. And it was like even when nobody in the crowd, he's always sitting right there with a the cigar. So I'm breathing in the cigar smoke while I'm uh, while I'm calling the game. So there were there were so so many. Uh, but because, because your the voice promotion- got a little scratchier and deeper by the end of that broadcast, exactly. just in, like you're in a cigar lounge in the 1920s. Exactly. That deep voice at the end, you know, but it was, yeah, it was, uh, there are so many, I mean, it's just been, uh, it's been wild uh, just through the years, all the mascots and, and all the stuff, uh, you know, uh, Myron Noodleman, I miss him. Myron Noodleman was a legend. Um, just, yeah, there, there are too many to mention, but it, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun thinking about those minor league stories for sure. Well, John, I feel like we could we could talk all day. So in the interest of getting closer to wrapping this up, but one thing we didn't hit yet uh, specifically is you were in Sacramento for 22 years. So as unequivocally positive is positive it is that you got the call to Oakland, I mean, it has to be a little bittersweet now to be leaving the River Cats organization. Yeah, River Cats. I mean, look, the the Savages they 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 brought me in, and the late Art Savage, who I miss all the time, he he. Um, he, uh, you know, they, they hired me there, Gary Arthur and, and those guys, uh, they, 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 they hired me. So I was really grateful for that. I went from Fresno to Sacramento and was there a long time. We you know, with the A's affiliate 2001 to 2014 and got, then we went to the giants, uh, and, and got some great relationships there and, and enjoyed that. So, yeah, it has been a, a wild ride and, and, you know, all those championships, you know, Billy Bean and David Forrest and company, they, they gave the River Cats so many great teams through the years. It was incredible. Like we were loaded with teams. You know, we had we won we were won nine out of ten division championships, five PCL championships. You know, uh, four. I think uh, uh, what was it? Three AAA championships, five PCL championships, and winning teams every year. I mean, we we were loaded and and drew so well. So yeah, I mean, there's just so much in the people that I was around and, the, you know, just, I felt like a mini big league job a lot of times it really did. So just, I, yeah, I'm going to miss a lot of the people there and it, it was awesome. I mean, just being a part of that Sacramento and that fan base, that fan base is awesome. They love their baseball. They know their baseball, they're knowledgeable. So it was, it was a incredible run and I'll, I'll miss them for sure. But I'm, I'm very happy where, where I landed for sure. Yeah, and um, for a number of years now, you've had you know your signature sign off of sorts, uh, saying "Good night, M." Yeah. Uh, to your daughter Emily, which is also the title of your book of uh, baseball haiku. Yeah. Um, are you going to continue with that and f- find a way to incorporate that into the broadcast? I don't. Well, first of all, I don't think since I'm not the number one guy on the air, I don't think I'll be able to. Because I never did it during day games, so I always do it at night games. So I think either Vinny or Ken will be the number one guy, so I won't get the ninth inning. So I don't think I'll really be able to able to do it at least for a while. So I think that might good night M might be kind of on the back burner until I'm able to do it. So I, yeah, it's just I, I respect it. I mean, it's just like I, I I always said that in Cedar. You know, I said that when Emmy was born, and uh, I've been saying it ever since. People think I stole that from Billy Crystal in that. Uh, parental guidance or whatever that movie was, but actually I have proof that I was seeing it before that movie was around four years before it was around. So, so if anybody says he got that, no, I didn't, they got it from me, but I'm saying they got it from me, but I I said it first for sure. That's factual, but yeah, no, good night. M was, um, uh, is something I, I, I love saying, and I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to say it again, to be honest with you. 
Oh, well, that's uh, that's a little bittersweet, but uh, I don't know. Never I mean, know. I don't know. Maybe someday, but I, I just I think you know I'm not going to be able to say it. Like you know, I'm not going to say it after uh, you know if I go to the go back to the eighth inning from the seven. Let's go to the eighth. Good night, M. Here's Vinny. You know, I, I just can't. You know. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about uh, is it Holy Holy Kadelka? Is that the? Uh... Yeah, that was what I used to say in, in Cedar Rapids. There was a there was a Jeff Kadelka who I met in Cresco, Iowa, and I just fell in love with the name, so I started saying Holy Kadelka. But I kind of kind of dropped that over the years. I haven't really haven't really haven't really said that too much. That goes back a ways. That Holy Kadelka that goes back a, that goes back <laughs> to my Cedar Rapids days for sure. Great Czechoslovakian name. Yeah, well, Holy Kadelka, you're in the big leagues, and I yes. uh, really enjoyed. Yes. <laughs> really enjoyed having you on the podcast. And, Thanks, uh, guys. I enjoyed it. Good to, good to see you guys. Thank you for, for having me anytime. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. <laughs> Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was a real working farm team. The others are just a seedling of an idea. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Fresno Fruit Thieves. B. The Watonga Weeds. C. The Centralia Pets. What a good boy or girl you are if you picked C, the Centralia Pets, who were the cat's meow in the Washington State League of 1911. In the early 20th century, pets was common slang for one's favorite person or thing. Alas, Gustav Mahler has died, one might say. He was my pet composer. Or, more likely, Eddie Foy is on Broadway tonight. He's my pet. Or... Eddie Collins may be the better second baseman, but I'm a Cubs bug, and Heine Zimmerman is my pet. Most commonly, a baseball scribe might refer in print to the local team as our pets. There's some evidence that the 1911 Centralia team didn't have an official nickname at all, not uncommon for the time, and the name went into the history books because the press frequently referred to the team as the manager's pets. Which manager? Well, at season start, the pets were on the leash of one W.W. or W.R. Patton. Most sources today call him W.R., but in newspapers of the era, he was W.W. By any initials, initially, Patton was the pet's person, or manager, but he shocked team officials and fans by abruptly resigning on July 26. The Centralia Weekly Chronicle reported, Manager Patton gave no reason for his actions other than to state that he wished to go on a trip with his family and that he would rather a permanent manager be appointed in his place. Presumably, the best candidate said, I wouldn't take that job if my name was Mutt. It wasn't. It was Muck. Guy Muck. A local baseball lover who found the pets in need of hardly any grooming. They were on top of the Washington State League dog pile ever since the season started, and Guy Muck did nothing to muck things up the rest of the way. Yes, every other team was chasing the pet's tail. <laughs> they won the whole shebang, going 38-17 and 17 as IH Guyan led the loop with 72 hits, and Heine Berger was in the catbird seat with a 7-2 showing on the mound. 
It wasn't that the pets were in the doghouse for the 1912 season so much as the new thing rolled into town and brought bad luck. The Centralia entry for the Washington State League in 1912 came to be known as both the Railroaders and the Black Cats. And they were 16 and 21 when the circuit disbanded in July. And that's how the pets ran away. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams would have been a podcast favorite in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Yosemite Sams. B. The Grand Rapids Joshers. C. The Tyler Tylerians. D. The South Bend Bends. Want to know the answer? Subscribe or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is asking for credit, and he's already hit the debt ceiling. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Huge thanks to Johnny Daskow for stopping by and a uh, big congratulations to him. A's fans, you're getting a really good one. Uh, ben and Sam have to run off to uh, other bigger and cooler obligations and hanging out with me on Zoom today. And uh, gents, you guys uh, enjoy the day. Uh, can't wait to do it again next week. It's one of the bright spots of my week, seeing your two smiling faces on my computer screen. I'm sorry we had to run, Tyler, but it's for very, very exciting reasons. Yeah. We might be able to reveal someday. Maybe. Um, that's someday. the ultimate tease. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully we, we can talk about it. But all I'll say is that Sam and I are part of a big idea and people are listening. Oh, I like that. I like that framing. Um, all right. Well, for these two dudes, Benjamin Hill, Sam Dykstra, Josh Jackson, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. 